Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 264. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week, I'm excited to bring on Michelle Bosch. Michelle is a full-time real estate investor and has been since 2002. She's bought and sold over 4,000 properties, built one of the largest land investment companies in the U.S., and holds a portfolio of over $40 million in multifamily properties. Michelle has an MBA in finance, a love for numbers and efficiencies, and is passionate about unlocking purpose and prosperity through what she calls the four C's, confidence, courage, capability, and cash flow. So today I'm excited to welcome Michelle on the podcast. Michelle, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you today. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, can you start by telling us a little bit about who you are, your background, and your kind of journey up to this point? Absolutely. So I guess my business journey has followed my personal journey. And let me start at the beginning. I am originally from Honduras. I'm an immigrant from Central America. I came here in 1995. My husband is actually also an immigrant into the U.S. And I think that's important to the story because we actually, for the last 17, 18 years, have been working together. So he's from Germany. He comes here in 1997. And we both came here to study, you know, to get our MBAs. And we did what everyone, you know, expects you to do after, you know, going through college and getting a master's degree and we got jobs. And uh, very quickly, you know, we realized that we really hated our jobs. We were 100% <laughs> travel, but we were really tied to those jobs because they were the ones that were providing our working visa. They were our ticket to our green card, which was uh, a permanent yeah. residency here in the U.S., and so we kind of like, you know, our hands were like, you know, chained, but we knew that we hated it and that we needed to look for a side hustle, that we needed to do something different, that, you know, those being part of corporate America with two weeks of vacation a year was not going to cut it if we wanted to maintain family ties, you know, to Honduras, to Germany. And so we started looking for, you know, ways or things that we could start something on the side so that when the time would come where we would have our permanent residency, you know. We were free, really, to leave the jobs that we hated. And so we started looking into real estate. We were dumbfounded by something that we found out really, really early on. And maybe the fact that we were foreigners, the fact that we were immigrants, that we could see opportunities that others didn't see. And what we found out is that here in the U.S., if you do not pay property taxes, that you can lose your property to property taxes. You know, yeah. there's something called mm -hmm. tax liens and tax deeds. And we were like, in shock because for both of us in our respective countries, that's just never going to happen. You're never going to lose your private property over property taxes, you know? And so we started looking into it and we realized, you know, after having attended, I attended one of a tax deed auction out in California 
Because mm-hmm. there's two, there's, you know, half of the U.S. is a tax lien state, you know, approach. And the other half follows a tax deed approach. Well, I went to California. That state happens to be a tax deed state. And what that means is that they auction off the actual property, not a lien against it, but the actual property after, you know, three, four, five years of delinquency. And so I go there and I notice how incredibly competitive it was to actually bid on a property. We had like $3,000 to our name. So needless to say, I did not get any of, you know, the properties that we were looking at. However, while I was there, I did get to meet one of the sellers, you know, that was losing her property, you know, at auction. And she tells me, well, I have another property that I have, you know, but it doesn't have any property taxes and I am looking to sell it and it happens to be a piece of land. So we kind of stumble into land in this way and to, you know, bring the story short, I'm able to put it, you know, under contract for 75000 and we are able to sell it for 100000 And so that was $25,000 in our pocket over land. And then the big light bulb moment was like, wow, she didn't owe any property taxes. Uh, land, she has never been approached by anyone because she, I remember me telling her, have you tried to market this property with a realtor? And she's like, no, I haven't even attempted, you know, putting it out there with a realtor. I have done nothing. Has anyone ever approached you interested in buying the land? And she's like, no. So for us, it was like, okay, there's people out there that own perhaps a piece of land, want to get out, you know, don't want to have the burden of property ownership and that we can get to these people way sooner than getting to a tax auction where it's incredibly competitive. That environment was like being in a shark tank, you know, infested with sharks. And it almost felt like they knew each other. I was a newcomer. I was a woman. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They were for sure not going to let me have it. So that's where our methodology then, you know, starts developing where we realize, okay, we can go after land. We can use direct mail to contact people way before the three, four, five years before they're delinquent. They're, you know, we can just go for all vacant land. And that's pretty much what we did. And, you know, we did... 60 deals our first year, 100 deals our second year. And then we were like, oh my goodness, you know, we're working. At that point, we had left our jobs, you know, and we were working, you know, pretty much 80 hours a week, you know, what we were working in our corporate job. And we're like, either we shrink or we expand. We decided that we were going to expand, you know, hired two people, our first, you know, team members to come on board. And the, pretty much, you know, the rest is history. We were able then to start flushing properties just like you, you know, explained in my intro, using a land auction channel, we were able to sell 200 pieces in one day. We did that, you know, three or four times a year. And we started selling properties in two ways, either for cash, you know, just like anyone wholesales houses, mm-hmm. we wholesale land and or seller financing, where we became the bank and all of a sudden, you know, somebody just gives me a down payment that normally typically covers the cost of what I put into the property, you know, to purchase it. Right. And then they pay three anywhere between three to $500 for the next five, 10, 15 years. So we create notes. We were able to create approximately $12 million in notes with $70,000 of passive cash flow coming in from those notes. Yeah. So land has been the cornerstone of what we do. We love it. I mean, to this day, we're able to, you know, continue to get properties for anywhere between five to 25 cents on the dollar. On average, for every 100 pieces of mail that I send, we get a callbacks, you know, five to 15 callbacks. And on, say, on average, 500 to 1,000 pieces of mail, 
I'm able to get a deal and the typical average spreads are anywhere between five and $15,000. So very similar to houses when it comes to spreads, you know, just without any of the complications of houses. And another thing that is important for me to mention is, and I also think that it was the fact that we were both immigrants here. We didn't grow up here. We didn't know anything about construction and how things are built. Right. But for us, you know, we looked into houses before looking into this tax lien, tax deed world. We had looked into houses, but for us, it was just, we had no clue on how to estimate repairs, you know, on a kitchen, on a roof, on foundation issues, uh, mold, you know, you have to deal with tenants, you have to deal, you know, with mortgages. And so it was, for us, it was too complex and incredibly competitive, actually, just like, you know, the tax auctions that I was mentioning, incredibly competitive. So for us, you know, it was when we found, you know, and it stumbled into land, it was like, okay, that's it. It's real estate simplified. We have been able to do it pretty much in any market cycle. We started in 2002. So we've done it, you know, through the run-up, through the bust, through recovery. (laughs) I mean, through every, in any market cycle, we've been able to flip land. So for me, as a woman, it's like, it's safe. It's predictable, you know, and it's simple. So why not? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and, great. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, kind of like the progression of how we stumble into land. And now say 2009 comes around, we were sitting in a ton of liquidity from all these cash flips and a lot of cash flow coming in from the notes. And we are actually here in Phoenix. We were, you know, based here in Phoenix and Phoenix was for sale. We were able to buy houses, yeah, the entire <laughs> United States. But Phoenix was incredibly some, you know, one of the hardest hits along with Florida. Mm-hmm. So we were able to buy houses here for forty, fifty thousand dollars, you know, and that rented for nine anywhere between nine hundred and eleven hundred dollars. So we kind of went on a shopping spree, went shopping. By that time, you know, we had already assembled a crew, you know, to repair, to buy. And so our level of what we could entertain as far as complexity when it came, you know, to a different asset class, you know, was there as well. And we bought, you know, about 50 single family homes. Then we started moving to other different markets. And about five years ago, we started looking into apartment syndications. And apartment syndications have given us the opportunity to basically use our land flips, you know, as our cash machine and use those cash profits and cash flow from the land and transfer them over to apartments and basically allocate some of the assets there. Because what happens with land is, yes, I'm able to sell it with seller financing and I'm able to create passive cash flow with land, but that those notes eventually get paid off and those come to an end. So for us, it has been a great strategy to basically move those profits over to apartments and really have ongoing passive cash flow that we like to call forever cash. That's like our our thing. In our house, whenever we talk about passive cash flow, we call it forever cash. So that's our forever cash strategy, pretty much. And But yeah, land continues to be the cornerstone of what we do. It has been, Jacob, an amazing vehicle for us to really live out the four freedoms. And I think these are the four freedoms that any entrepreneur really has in mind when they start their business. And that is to live the freedom of money, you know, to live the freedom of time, to live the freedom of relationships, and to live the freedom of purpose. Because now we are really, you know, the land has allowed us to really start living out this, you know, freedom of purpose and teach others and really be transformational to others. 
So, you know, we've developed our own methodology, our own uh, proprietary software, which at the beginning we didn't have. And hence, you know, some of my, I know you're going to ask me at some point, what's my worst deal? It's probably from not following my own system. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, so that's kind of like, you know, that's the whole story till today, you know, fast forward, you know, 18 years later. I love that, Michelle. And one thing I like really want to pull out of your story here is I like how very beginning, very first thing you did was, you know, you had $3,000 to your name. You and your husband went to this tax lien auction in California, right? Probably Uh had no business being there. Didn't really know the ropes. You know, you're kind of the newcomer to the table. But by putting yourself out there and attempting to do something and taking action, you stumbled into that very first deal. And then that aha moment, you know, turned on, you bought that very first uh, piece of raw land. And that really kind of started this whole domino effect. And here you are today. So I think that's really cool. And just a lesson for listeners out there. Like if you're thinking about getting started, you know, go out there and take that very first step. And you might be surprised what that actually accomplishes for you in the long run. Yeah. And then, you know, doing our methodology of, you know, direct mail, which we perfected over the years now. And, you know, our letter, you know, our, we call it our proven performance letter is down that, you know, it continues to, you know, to this day, give us the same results and not just to us, but, you know, to, you know, hundreds of others that do it now, you know, of our students and clients that do it. And yeah, it's just like you said, it's a matter of going out there, doing something and overcoming that, you know, fear and whatever, because we didn't know if the direct mail was going to work. But our first deal from our own methodology was a much, much smaller deal. And we could have been, you know, disappointed because of, you know, the spread. We actually purchased the property up here in Apache County for $400, you know, and we were staking out the property. It was back in the day where there was no Google Earth. We actually, you know, wanted to go and see the land and find it and so on and so forth. And we were staking the land. And and while we're doing that, the piece of property, you know, the neighbor next door comes over and says, oh my gosh, you know is this your property? And we're like, yes, well, I'd love to buy it. And our negotiation skills were so like zero. And he <laughs> offered us, he offered us there on the spot $4,000. And we said, we'll take it, you know? And um, that's still a pretty good spread buying it for it 400, is, selling it for 4,000. That's 3,600 bucks. And, but what that did, you know, using our methodology, which we knew that we could then, you know, because going and finding an, you know, a person at an auction that has a piece of land to sell, that's not a system that you can replicate. But we knew that if with direct mail, we could get properties going and rolling, that that would be a system that we could replicate and repeat over and over and over. And for me, repetition is so important. You know, for some people, repetition seems boring, but repetition brings mastery. And once you have mastery, like in, for us, it was mastery in this methodology. It meant having a PhD and making money, you know? So when we got that deal, I'm like, oh my God, this works, you know? And it really sculpted our spirit, you know? So it was not a big spread with our, you know, that very first deal with our methodology, but it really sculpted our spirit in like, yes, it's possible. We can do it. Let's keep doing, let's keep blanketing this county, you know, and moving on to other counties here in the state. And then eventually we started doing this across the entire United States. We tried to still typically be in the, you know, from, you know, the middle half of the U.S. South only Mm -hmm. because we're selling land and selling land under, you know, however many feet of snow is not easy. So in order to prevent that seasonality and be able to sell land year round, we try to stay in those Southern states pretty much. Yeah, makes sense. 
One thing I really like about land investing, and you see several people out there who are doing it really well, like yourself, Michelle, are the systems and the processes you have in place. I mean, it's like a well-oiled machine when it's running right, right? So, you know, you've got your direct mail and you're going out to very specified buyers and you've got like all these automations and systems that just like run very seamlessly. And I always find that part really cool about land investing. So talk a little bit about the systems and processes that you didn't once have, you now do, and how that makes your business easier to grow and scale, which in turn gives you time to go out and do other things like, you know, transfer those cash flows into more generational wealth building assets like apartments and things of that nature. Yeah. So for us, it was a game changer when we moved basically from uh, paper files, you know, to actually in the beginning, even we could do spreadsheets, but then we were doing so much volume that I remember the very first time where we had like an oops, oh my gosh, we own three adjacent lots. And when we were deeding out the property, you know, that we were selling, say we own, you know, lot A, B, and C, we deeded out B, but B had already been, pre, you know, had already been sold. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, I need to contact this buyer now. And I need to let him know that I do have lot C available that is adjoining, that it looks exactly like B, but that I cannot sell him B because I've already sold B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So that was one of the moments where we realized, oh my God, spreadsheets are not cutting it anymore just because of the level of volume that we were doing mm-hmm. and that we really needed to invest in a system, in a CRM that we built ourselves. And basically that brings the property from the moment that you send out a mailing campaign, basically, and brings and walks that deal all the way through it being a, you know, just a prospect to an actual lead, to an offer accepted, to a contract being sent to title, to, you know, contract being actually closed, to contract being or property actually being listed on X and X, you know, market channels and it being sold and it being sold either on terms or it being sold per cash. So it's a, basically it's a process flow, you know, software that has different stages, different statuses, tasks, so that it gives you the opportunity to have even different hierarchy of um, what people have access to and what things people can do. So we could have team members basically join, plug into that, you know, system and really help us, you know, bring that property along that process. And, you know, it gives you a buying website, a selling website, because now, you know, our students are using it as well. So it gives you those things as well. It has a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to connect to other, you know, softwares through an API. It has a really good API. And for us, you know, investing in that software was really our ticket to scaling. It was really our ability to then go from, you know, 100 deals to really, you know, 800 deals a year. That was pivotal to our success. Yeah. Well, I think it's really unique how each and every asset class has their disadvantages and advantages, right? And you're the first to admit that raw land investing is no different than the others. It's got its unique advantages and some disadvantages. When you're doing things like flipping houses or flipping raw land, you're constantly you know, selling your asset and having to go out and buy another and another. Now, in your operation, you know, you're doing large volumes, but nonetheless, you're going out and still having to buy raw land every month, turning around and selling it either wholesale or on seller financing terms. But at the end of the day, you're not necessarily building up a lot of equity. So I think one thing interesting you've done, Michelle, is you've realized that and you've taken all the great cash flows from this land flipping business and put them into a more, what would you call it, like equity-based 
asset, right? Through apartment investing, where you're actually building equity, generating wealth, and still getting that cash flow component. So talk about how you kind of made that switch. And you kind of alluded to, but kind of elaborate on that, if you will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we are able to sell the land, you know, for cash. And that's just a quick flip, like you would be flipping a house. So that for me, how I call it, we call it here in our house in the Bosch family house, we call it one time cash. You know, you go out there, do work once you get paid once. Mm -hmm. Then for us to transition, you know, into what we call temporary cash, we started selling our land using the seller financing, you know, I buy a piece of land for $1,000. I sell it for $10,000. Somebody gives me $2,000 down payment. I recoup my costs. I even have $1,000 more in my pocket. Now I get, you know, two, three, four, five hundred $500 every month for the next five, 10 years. And now that's bought me some passive cash flow, but passive cash flow that is temporary. That is yeah. only it's gonna for end five. Soon. Yeah, that is going to end, you know, at the five, 10, 15 year period. And so from there, you know, for us, it was a logical transition. Okay, how do we, you know, go from having these two being the sources of our cash machine and invest in something that is going to give us, you know, long-term cash flow. And we chose apartment investing, not just because it's the sexiest thing out there right now, because it is, everyone is trying to learn it. But five years ago for us, it was a way to really, you know, turbocharge the passive cash flow. It was our way to really shelter using the huge depreciation, you know, and now the accelerated depreciation through cost segregation studies, use that to shelter our active income over here, you know, because here from an IRS standpoint, we're dealers, you know, and um, it allows us to shelter that. And on top of it, you know, create passive cash flow. We also love the fact that we are in total control because if you think about it, an apartment is like a tiny little business and we have control over its efficiencies, how it's being managed, you know, and for every $100,000 that we are able to increase net operating income, you know, the valuation of that asset increases by $1.5 million. So we love being in control of that, you know, it's awesome. But we continue doing the land flips because in order to do this, like we're big believers that if I'm going to syndicate an apartment and I know that there's a lot of apartment syndicators out there and there's a lot of ways to do it, but the way I feel comfortable doing it is I want my investors to know that I have blood in the deal. So my cash profits from the land are in the apartment side as well. And I think it just keeps everyone's goals, you know, aligned and it's perfect. So yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what we do. I like the model. I really like what you've done there. Now let's kind of switch gears a little bit and kind of take us to a couple deals that you might see in a typical land investing deal. Maybe give us like, you know, one of your best and worst deals. What's a good deal look like for you? What's a bad deal look like for you? Yeah. So a bad deal would be, for example, we got arrogant at some point and we didn't follow our own process. And I was in Colorado going into a new county, into a new state. And we were in a subdivision where I was buying property and I could see that, you know, there's other houses being built on half acre lots. And I'm like, okay, let me blanket this county. Let me get a bunch of half acre lots. I know that I can, you know, buy them for a couple grand and sell them for fifteen, seventeen thousand dollars $17,000. And so I go and, you know, buy property and I buy the first like three or four or five lots. And when I'm trying to sell one of the lots, I notice that, you know, my buyer comes back and says, you know what, I want to build on this piece of land. And I just found out that in order to build, I need to have a one acre, that the zoning had changed. There were lots there. There were homes there where 
the houses were on half acre lots. But since that time, when those houses had been built, zoning had changed. And now the county wanted you to have, you know, an acre lot. So I needed to sell him basically to adjoining in order for him to be able to build his home. And so because I had, you know, I had managed to buy a few that were, you know, contiguous to each other, I was able to say that. But it was a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this could have, you know, been a really, you know, not so good situation. And, you know, we need to stick to our process and we need to do all the due diligence, just like we have it, you know, every single checklist and every single stage or status of that software that I was telling you that we developed, we actually need to follow our own systems and not get arrogant. And still, you know, because I had purchased contiguous, I was still able to save it. But yeah, it meant that I needed to go into that county with a completely different mindset. You know, I could have gone there and bought 20, 30, 40 pieces of those half acre lots, and I would have not been able to easily flush them out if they would have not been contiguous. So that's, I think, an example of a moment of, okay, humility, please exercise humility. uh (laughs) And then I think one of our best deals has been up here in Northern Arizona. And at the beginning of our career as well, we were able to buy a 40 acre tract for like 700 bucks and then sell it for $40,000. So that uh, that was great. And then, and that also gave us, you know, the kind of like the target of like, okay, let's go for a certain type of property versus just any property, you know? And so from that moment on, we were like, okay, we're going to focus in three types of lots. We're going to focus, if we're out in the rural areas, we're going to focus on recreational property because that's what that was. It was hunting land. Or we're going to go after properties that are land that is in the path of growth. And when we started, we had to flip every piece of land. But now, you know, there's property here between, you know, Phoenix and Tucson. There's, this is a corridor of tremendous growth where I'm actually holding on to some property because I know that it's going to be worth a lot of money, you know, in the future. So that that's, but you can flip it as well. You know, properties in the path of growth, there's a lot of buyers with the same intention that I have, which is to use it as an investment play. Yeah. And the third type of property that we buy is infill lots inside the cities where, you know, houses are already there. And usually they're my exit. My buyer is a builder. Sure. So those are the three types of properties. And yeah, within those, I remember back in the day, one of our best deals was, you know, that 40 acre parcel. And we're like, okay, my goodness, recreational property, not just any rural junk land out there, because there's plenty of that up here in Northern Arizona. (laughs) <laughs> where it's like deserted, raw, you know, nothing going on. And even there, I mean, you, there's subdivisions there where you can buy properties for, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars and sell them for five, but that's like bottom feeding technique and that's junk property. And, you know, we don't want to deal with junk property. I want to know that my buyer is like happy and using it for something, you know, that they're going to enjoy, or it's going to be a home or a possibility for them to go camping, you know, with a family whenever it's, you know, 110 degrees here and it's, you know, 80, you know, 20 degrees less up in Northern Arizona. So yeah, so there's other people out there doing land and they're going for this type of like low, low price junk land. It's hard to sell, to be frank, and I don't want to deal in it. Yeah. It sounds like to you, you're really focusing on your exit strategy and who your buyer will be. Like you talked about this track in Colorado, right? looks like you're specifically targeting home builders, right? And then you realize they have to build on an acre, not half an acre. You know, same philosophy here. You know, you're really looking at who your buyer is going to be, what they're going to do with the land before you ever buy it. So I think that's a really important thing to take away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Totally. Well, Michelle, talk to us a little bit about what the future holds for you now. You've built your raw land investing business. It looks like it's rocking and rolling along. You're starting to teach people how to do it yourself. You're generating passive cash flow, putting it in those, putting that passive cash flow into apartments where you're generating more cash flow. So you've got a pretty good operation going. Tell us what the future holds for you. So we have actually been teaching now for, you know, the land flipping for almost 10 years. Granted, the first few students were friends of ours, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think that's going to continue to be in my future. We, like I said, Jack and I absolutely love, like, even if you pay me zero money and you have a heartbeat and you want to learn about land, I know that I'm going to, you know, invest in you and put in the time. So I know that we're going to continue teaching that for sure. And we will probably continue doing, you know, apartment investing. We will be continuing to do some land flipping. Now the land flips that we're looking at, we're not looking, you know, we've transitioned from high volume to uh, properties that we can buy for thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, but that we can sell for two hundred and fifty, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars. So that's the kind of land that we are in today, and we're probably going to continue to, you know, pursue into the future. But, you know, but there's nothing wrong with uh, $15,000, dollars $30,000 spreads. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is super transformational to someone right now, you know, that might have a job and that either wants to retire from that job or wants to retire their spouse or wants to be able to put their children through private school or travel or do whatever. So there's nothing wrong with that. And there are plenty of them out there available in our Facebook community, sometimes people are like, well, why do you continue to share? And you're scared that, you know, that you're creating so much more competition for yourself. And the answer is no, we have touched probably like a tiny little piece of what is possible (laughs) out there. You know, when it comes, there's a lot of land out there to be had. (laughs) Exactly. When it comes to land. So, and to this day, in spite of us teaching now this for almost 10 years, you know, we do not come across any students, you know, sending direct mail, It's like a blue ocean out there because whenever people think about real estate, everyone thinks about, you know, multifamily homes, flipping houses, rehabbing houses, Mm -hmm. um, or being a mortgage broker or being a private, you know, lender or being in the note business, but nobody thinks about land. You know what I mean? So we have, this is like, yeah, a blue ocean out there of just infinite possibilities for everyone. So we will continue doing land, probably more in the higher price range. We'll continue doing apartments. And uh, probably continue teaching it for sure. Because when we started teaching, it was actually Jack, the one that started it. My husband, he was like, you know, I come from a country where we are brainwashed into get an education, work for a corporate career all your life. And land has been so, you know, transformational to us, like to the core. I got to share this with some. So it's been a hard project for him. I know we're not, you know, at his heart, he's a teacher. I love building leaders, you know, so from, you know, it's been a great complementary of skills, you know, I love building leaders within our company, you know, now within our educational business as well. So yeah, we'll continue doing that. Yeah, that's great. Well, Michelle, before we wrap up for the day, we've got a lightning round, just a series of questions we'd like to fire at you. Are you ready for them? Yeah. All right, cool. So the first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? Okay, I think the very first hurdle was, yes, we came here with some English, but the language, Mm, Uh, language just to be able to communicate like this, not even to mention 
uh, real estate language and terminology. Contracts so was- <laughs> and all that stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was, I think, a big hurdle. And then the complexities of just so many ways that you can invest within real estate. And I think the way we overcame that was by looking for an asset class that was incredibly simple, you know? And so that was our way of overcoming, you know, complexity and some of those barriers at the beginning. We didn't have a lot of money. And so being able to buy a piece of land for 500 bucks and flip it for like eight, nine, 10, I mean, you know, that was a big deal for us as well. So I think the asset class, the choice of vehicle of the asset class was incredibly important for us to overcome some of those, you know, not having a lot of capital, not knowing the language, not knowing a lot of the terminology, not knowing a lot of the complexities of, you know, how to even, you know, going get a mortgage because it wasn't that we had bad credit. It just was that we had no credit because we just <laughs> yeah, right. we had just emigrated. So yeah, so I think that would definitely be it, which like I said, the hurdle then turns into probably your biggest advantage, you know, that you're an immigrant, but therefore that, that gives us the drive today, even in the hunger to continue building a world that is better than the what I left, especially for me, because I come from a third world country, you know? Yeah. And so the drive, the zero fear of hard work, you know, like zero, <laughs> anything that is too easy. I'm like, uh, are you sure yeah, <laughs> this yeah. actually works? You know what I mean? So zero fear of hard work and just being willing to kind of like something that you alluded in the beginning has been also an advantage, being willing to just go out there and do things, maybe not knowing that I'm not able to do them. And that's why I've been able to do them. (laughs) Yeah. So kind of like the bumblebee, it doesn't know it shouldn't fly, you know, but it flies. So I love it. Yeah, that's great. Well, Michelle, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Yes, I have a couple. And that's part of what I think I want to share now. And that is also part of my future. You know, I started a podcast, uh, especially for women. I'm really passionate about getting many more women investing in real estate. You know, women come from, you know, at least for me, traditionally, I come from a culture where women were incredibly dependent. And I think here in the U.S. as well, incredibly dependent in their spouses. I mean, it's only 40 years since I think women have been able to even open their own bank account without having their husband co-signing, you know. So they've gone from being earners to being sometimes, you know, business owners. And I would love to get many more women, you know, now to move and have that transition of just being earners of money to being, you know, much more into asset thinking. And how can I start putting some of that money that I'm having there from either a job or a business, you know, and using that as my cash machine to start thinking about assets that can actually spit cash flow that then, you know, pay for my lifestyle. So yeah, so one of the things though that I share in that podcast, which is called the Inflow Podcast, is that yes, you know, we're interested in making money and that money is an important aspect of our lives, but we cannot forget that we need to bring grace and we need to bring ease into our lives, into our everyday lives. And one of the ways that I bring ease into my everyday life, which is one of you know the personal habits that have contributed to my success, is that in the mornings, you know, I love connecting with something bigger than I am, you know, connecting with source, with God, whatever you want to call it, you know. And for me, I do that through breath work and through meditation and okay. prayer you know, breath work. For some others, it's exercise. For another person, it could be, you know, a walk in the woods or a walk with your pet in the mornings, you know, Mm -hmm. something that gets you out of the mental world and into kind of like, you know, your body and and your inner being and, you know, that place where you experience inner peace. And it, it makes me feel 
you know, powerful when I do it. When I don't do it, very easily my 12-year-old will say, well, mommy, did you do your meditation today? Because you're kind of grumpy. <laughs> it just, it helps me be much more grounded, much more centered, you know, and in everything that, you know, comes my way, I feel like I'm able to just, you know, meet that challenge or that obstacle or that opportunity in a different frequency with a different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and so that's a personal habit that it's much more of a inside world type of habit. But uh, like if I was to look at, you know, an external habit, something that is much more tangible, it would be my weekly rhythm. I try to split my week into what I call days of play, days of production and playing. I'm playing any day that I am producing. That's a revenue generating day. That's all I'm doing. And in day that I'm planning, I'm working with my team, you know, making sure that my systems and my processes are there to support amazing production days, amazing revenue generating days. So those two things, I think, like my weekly rhythm and my daily rhythm of starting my day with something that centers me and anchors me. I like that. I like the way you break down that week. That's pretty unique. I've never heard that kind of uh, goal planning or productivity planning strategy, if you will. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Basically, you try 80% of your day. If it's a day of play, have it be an 80%. Make sure that 80% okay, of yeah. your day is play. If it's a, you know, because I mean, stuff always happens and you have yeah. to take a call or whatever. But if you're on a production day, make sure that it's only production, you know, and in the land flipping world, production day is anything where I'm talking to buyers, where we're creating promotions, listings for the land, you know, those are revenue generating type of days and anything that has to do with planning, you know, with my team, then it's ensuring that I can have play days and that I can have great production days. Yeah, that's great. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Michelle, do you have an online resource you'd find valuable in your day to day? Yes. I like for my own personal use, I like my fitness ball. It yeah. uh, allows me to, you know, track a little bit of my macros because I'm all about, yes, it's great to be making money. But if my most important piece of real estate, which is my body, is not functioning well, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. So I try to track my macros. And when I don't, you know, and you think, oh, my gosh, I did so well. And at the end of the day, I enter, you know, in hindsight, all the things that I ate. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Even after doing it for some time, I realize, you know, yeah, that it's good to plan it, you know, at the beginning of the day, kind of like, okay, you know, this is what I'm having for breakfast this is what I'm having, you know, for lunch. And that's going to leave me only this amount, you know, of macros for dinner, you know, and so that's one thing. Another thing that I really, really love is notarize.com. It's a website where because we sometimes deal with, you know, out of even country owners mm -hmm. that own land, it has allowed me to have, you know, people out in Germany, for example, sell land to us and they don't have to go to a U.S. embassy in order to get their signature notarized because a notary, for example, outside of the U.S., is actually usually an attorney, a high, very high level kind of attorney where actually getting their signature, you know, to notarize and witness a signature is pretty expensive. So now I'm pretty excited about having found this notarize.com. So it's, I know it's very niche for what I do, yeah. but um, I love this mobile notary and just being able to notarize anything, you know, all around the world. I love tiny scanner too. I mean, it's amazing that we live in unprecedented times that with just my phone, I can freaking like scan a plat map, a contract, you know, send it, you know, email it to someone 
and make 20 grand on a land flip just, you know, using my phone and using yeah. like apps like Tiny Scanner. You know, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. That's great. We'll link those in the show notes if anybody wants to check those out. That's My Fitness yeah. Pal, Notarize.com, and Tiny Scanner, all great resources. So thanks yeah. for that. Michelle, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? Okay. So I came across this book, I would say a good four or five years ago, and it's called Essentialism. I don't even know if uh, the name of the author, but I think I have it downstairs. That's a book that I sometimes, you know, come and reread. And basically the premise is that if you want to have or achieve mastery in one thing, you know, that you have to focus, that you need to simplify in order to multiply in from a business standpoint. But also it means that the message of the book is not don't go for quantity, go for quality, go for what is essential, you know? You know, maybe, yes, you're not having fancy ingredients, but if you're having a few ingredients, simple ingredients of incredible, you know, high quality, that that would be much better than, you know, having a ton of ingredients that are not of high quality. Yeah. Um, when it comes to business, for me, how I was able to apply that concept was, you know, and there's other books that talk about this in different ways with different analogies. I don't know if you know the pumpkin plan also from Michael Michalowicz. No. Uh, yeah. The pumpkin plan goes at, you know, there's business owners, you know, that within their business, they might have different product lines. And all of a sudden, you know, they start putting their effort here and their effort here and their effort here. And their effort is completely diluted. And they're not able to really build that one thing that they do well, mm -hmm. you know. But if you start pruning, you know, your, say, your pumpkin garden and making sure that all the resources, all the nutrients, all the stuff goes to this one big pumpkin, you know, that that one big pumpkin is probably, you know, your ticket to success. So essentialism is in, in essence, you know, another way of looking at that of just, you know, hocus pocus focus, that focus can, in simplifying something and having your, you know, attention not be divided in a thousand different things can really be your ticket to multiplying. You know, for us, it was putting our blinders off, not looking at any other asset class, you know, for almost six I think, yeah, the first six, seven straight years, we didn't even consider houses. Like it was just land, 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 yeah. land. And so there's some principles of this book that, you know, we've kind of already, you know, intuitively started using. And that's probably why I so identify with it. But it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. As I do the pumpkin plant too. Those two books are awesome. Great. We'll link those books in the show notes. It sounds like it's something I could learn from myself. So I'm sure the same with the audience members. So We'll link those if anybody wants to pick those up. Michelle, yeah. last question in the lightning round before we wrap up for the day and tell audience members where they can learn more about you, connect with you, reach out to you. That question is, if you were to give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you go back and tell yourself? I think what I would tell myself is that the moment that I started deciding to build team now, because I, you know, I'm only 43, so this was in my 20s, so... I would have focused on core values so much sooner. You know, there's four pillars to business. The why, the who, the what, and the how. I was so busy. Yeah, we knew our why. You know, we wanted our, you know, to create a better future than the one we left. We wanted to, you know, be in contact with our family. We knew the, you know, the why. We knew that land was going to be the ticket. We knew the how. We knew that we needed to scale, that we needed to have systems. But in order to have those, that, yeah, that I would have had, team and I did have team and built team, but it was team that I was hard to retain, you know, that gave me so many HR headaches and, you know, and just 
issues that if I would have focused on core values first, I would have been able to attract and magnetize and really be a lighthouse, you know, that magnetize the right people to come and work for us with this, with the right vision, you know, that are as scrappy as we are, as adaptable, as hardworking, you know, that would have shared those of taking bold action of, you know, operating out of high levels of integrity, of being transformational, which means not just doing something for the money, but for you know, for what and who you're becoming in the process. And so if I would have focused on those values of excellence, of taking bold action, of being transformational, of, you know, operating at high levels of integrity, and if I would have, you know, had that be like my guiding, you know, North Star when I was building a team, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been so much easier. I would have brought so much more ease into my life, for sure. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's something that, yeah, I would have done. Great advice, Michelle. Well, hey, Michelle, it's been a lot of fun having you on the podcast, talking about your journey, how you've built your business, how you've kind of you know transitioned from land investing and going into the apartment investing and you know doing all those unique things, hearing your story. It's been really fun talking with you. I'm sure a lot of people would love to learn more about what you're doing, connect with you. I know you also host a podcast, so tell us a little bit about where people can reach out to you and best find you. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, so people can find me in, you can go to landprofitgenerator.com, landprofitgenerator.com. That's a free masterclass if you want to learn a little bit more about what this whole land thing is. And you can also join a free Facebook community. We have about 6,500 amazing land flippers. I am so proud to say that that is a community that is incredibly generous with their time, with their knowledge. You can go in there, join for free. You know, everyone that is two, three steps ahead is incredibly giving and wants to give back, wants to bless others. And if you want to, you know, start looking into land, that would be a great place to go and really check out the ecosystem. You know, what are some of the numbers that people are getting? What are some of the success response rates? You know, you don't have to, you know, take it from me, just, you know, go out there and see. And it's called Land Profit Generator Real Estate Investing Group. Land Profit Generator Real Estate Investing Group. And then I know that you had mentioned a parting piece of advice and the parting piece of advice that I would give would be to go ahead and, which I know that probably many people here go and say, take action, but sometimes, you know, maybe I'm much more vulnerable and I'm much more willing to admit because I'm a woman that sometimes in order to take action takes incredible amounts of courage. Yeah. And um, because there's, you know, we fear, you know, we have fears, you know, crap that goes on in our head of why, you know, we can't do or we shouldn't do or why we should wait, you know, for the wide circumstances to do something. And I'm telling you, waiting is a freaking trap. If you're going to do something, go ahead and do it. Even if you're scared, you know, even if, you know, you feel like, you know, your legs are shaking, go ahead and do it. Because there's one thing that I have learned over the years, and that is that that fear loves time. And the more time you give it, the more time it uses, you know, to like mess with your head and get you into paralysis analysis, but courage loves speed. And so just speed, go out there, do it in spite of, you know, whatever fears you might be feeling, everything that you want is on that other side. And, you know, it's a matter of sometimes committing to something, you know, and once you commit, you know, you kind of like kill off other options and you muster the courage and you do it. And once you do it, I promise you, you're going to gain capability and that capability will give you confidence to go out there, do you know, bigger things. So that's kind of like a wonderful, vicious cycle, you know, commitment of courage, of capability, of confidence, 
which no, usually translates to cash flow. <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff, Michelle. Such inspirational content you've shared with the listeners today. Thank we'll you. link all of those resources you just mentioned in the show notes. The best place to go and learn more about land investing is landprofitgenerator.com. Join mm-hmm. the Facebook group for a community there. Michelle, hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a blast having you on. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you, Michelle. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Michelle Bosch. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that conversation. Michelle has a really interesting business model where she is using profits from her land flipping business and investing those proceeds into multifamily real estate. Well, if you want to learn more about anything we mentioned in today's show, you can find all of those resources in the show notes, including landprofitgenerator.com where you can go and find a free webinar and learn more about land investing. Well, hey, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. If you like today's podcast, please go over and let me know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to this at. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.